Hello there, little masters, and welcome to another weekly episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight, the good stuff is going to enchant you, if it doesn't make you drowsy first. Let's do all, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the man of the West, the Owens my glowing, Alan Sisto. Oh, well, I guess that's better than, I'm racking my brain here. Uh, for for non-disgusting options that rhymed with the old <laughs> Oin and Gloin. Better than the purloined your Des Moines. Oh, How's that? very good. Very good. Breaking out some IOA geography there. There you go. IOA. <laughs> uh, by the way, I was thinking about the good stuff will enchant you if it doesn't make you drowsy. I have to say, having had uh, bronchitis recently, I'm just thinking of that lovely cough syrup. It is enchanting. <laughs> it certainly is. It's enchanting and, and it, it makes, makes you, you drowsy. drowsy. But uh, Well, anyway, if you're the Oin to my Gloin... Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm the oin to your going. Then you need to speak to your troublemaking son. He and that elf friend. Oh, exactly. That guy. Yeah. Rumpf. Okay, folks. Tonight we move on. Eventually, when we're done with the intro, <laughs> we move on to chapter eight of the Hobbit: Flies and Spiders, in which we enter the treacherous forest of Mirkwood. That's not ominous at all. And there, there really is a not lot to discuss in this chapter. So, folks, we've decided to break it up into three episodes. That's going to give us lots of time to talk about the forest, the stream, the spiders, the elves, and all the other wonderful and horrible things our heroes are about to face. <laughs> yeah. You know, we'd originally thought we could do it in two, but there's just so much here. And, well, we want to give it the good old Prancing Pony podcast treatment that you've come to expect. Right. Uh, and with any luck, still occasionally enjoy. <laughs> that- Let's not overpromise anything, but, you know, hey, before we do that, I think it is time for another installment of Philology Fair. Yay! You know, I like that. I like that sting Me too. Lot. I'm doing my jig like I do every time. I would imagine that anyone who has ever picked up a book by Tolkien knows the word Mirkwood. Mm-hmm. Even people who've never actually read the books just looked at them. Because if you've ever seen a map of Middle-earth, you've seen the name Mirkwood plastered across the eastern edge of the map. That's true. The forest is huge, and it looms large in Tolkien's mythology. But as is so often the case with Tolkien, the name of the forest is an old word with a long history that's important to understand if you want to get a sense of what this forest is supposed to represent. So for this installment of Philology Fair, Sean's dug up some stuff on the origins of the name Mirkwood. You know I have. Well... So, first of all, the name is made up of two elements. So, wood, obviously, meaning forest, and murk, M-I-R-K, which is a unique spelling of a more familiar word, murk, M-U-R-K, which we probably know from the word murky, meaning dark or gloomy. And and I I suspect most native English speakers recognize that element immediately, even though it's spelled a little differently. Sure. But if you look a little deeper, it starts to get really, really interesting. The Mork Mirkwood, spelled this way, appears in a book by William Morris called A Tale of the House of the Wolfings, which was published in 1889. And we know that William Morris was an author whose uh-huh. fantasy work had a, a big influence on Tolkien. Yeah. If we look even farther back, we actually learn that the word Mirkwood is a translation of Old Norse, and I'm probably going to butcher this, Go for Mirkvither. Okay. Uh, which is basically just Mirkwood translated into Old Norse. Okay. And that was the name of a vast Eastern European forest in Norse legend. Uh, Tolkien said in a, a 1966 letter to his grandson, Michael, Michael George Tolkien, mm-hmm. and this is letter number 289, he says, It was probably the primitive Germanic name for the great mountainous forest regions that anciently formed a barrier to the south of the lands of Germanic expansion. Hmm. In some traditions, it became used especially of the boundary between Goths and Huns. Okay. So it's a it's a legendary place. I mean, it's not an actual European forest. It's not the Black Forest or something like that. 
it's just a like a code word in Germanic legend for a forest on the edge of the known world. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And and I think that sense of the edge of the known world is really key. Hmm. Yeah, there's that makes a, sense, a, yeah. Yeah, and there, there's a Germanic scholar named Francis Gentry, or Gentry, uh, who's done a lot of work on uh, medieval German epic poetry, who's described uh, this dark forest trope as a barrier between one world and another. Ooh, okay. And I think that's exactly that what Tolkien is, yeah, it really yeah. does. Uh, as we're going to see when we get into our discussion a little bit, you know, this is this is really a boundary. And uh, I, as much as I feel like we say this every time Bilbo crosses something, I feel like here's another <laughs> You're right. mythical indicator that he's crossing a threshold into another world. And, it, and in yeah. this case, it's a it's a fairy world where on the other side, he's going to find elves and dragons. And, and this mm-hmm. chapter really is full of threshold imagery, which we're going to be getting into yeah. soon. Well, and it's a threshold, like you said, into fairy, which is different than any of the other thresholds he's crossed so mm-hmm. far. So Yeah, whether it's thresholds from civilization into exactly. the wilderness or, or anything else, this is truly yeah. the, you know, the fairy oh, I mean, I'm threshold. thinking of the thresholds, even like when he, when he got into Rivendell and the, the air started smelling different. It was, yeah, the light yeah. was different. There's all these yeah. thresholds everywhere he goes. But yeah, this is... This is fairy. Well, this so is, is Rivendell, really, in a way, but yeah. this is yeah. like on a on a bigger level. Uh, this is anything creepy else? Fairy. This is not friendly fairy. You're right. This is definitely creepy fairy. This is the dangerous fairy, the perilous mm-hmm. realm, as the we talked about. Perilous realm. Yeah. Uh, anything else on Mirkwood before we begin? Well, I, I I have something here that I couldn't quite figure out how to work into the segment, but <laughs> I wanted to share it anyway. <laughs> That's not going to stop you. <laughs> no, not at all. Tolkien actually gives us an old English form of the name, which is I will probably butcher this too, Mirkwudu in a poem Ooh. he wrote called King Sheev, which is actually part of the uh, the Lost Road stuff that's printed in Volume 5 of the History of Middle-Earth. Um, maybe we'll talk about that more some other day. There's actually a connection back to Beowulf in that poem. Mm. Um, so again, it's really just, as I'm seeing this, I'm thinking, wow, Tolkien was really thinking of all of this stuff, you know, at the yeah. same time, Beowulf and Mirkwood. And we talked about Beowulf last time with Bayorn. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, all this stuff was very present in his mind when he was writing The It's Hobbit. all tied in. Well, that's yep. not surprising. I mean, that's typical of Tolkien. So, yeah, that is true. Well, let's uh, go ahead and get into our discussion. I'll I'll start okay. the very beginning because, and we have not had this joke for a while, so I'm due. Oh, here we go. Let us. The have beginning it. is, in fact, a very good place to start. <laughs> um, <laughs> it still makes me laugh. It does. So, it does. Don't stop on my account. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how old the joke is. Nope. Uh, it may have jumped the shark 27 episodes ago, but it is yeah. still. It still makes you laugh. So it's been a while since we brought it back. It so, is. You know, it has been. So. It, it's 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 gone it's gone back under the shark and it's jumping There you in go. Again. It's it's looped back around. All right, we're going to go ahead and start at the very beginning of Flies and Spiders here. They walked in single file. The entrance to the path was like a sort of arch leading into a gloomy tunnel made by two great trees that leant together, too old and strangled with ivy and hung with lichen to bear more than a few blackened leaves. The path itself was narrow and wound in and out among the trunks. Soon the light at the gate was like a little bright hole far behind, and the quiet was so deep that their feet seemed to thump along while all the trees leaned over them and listened. As their eyes became used to the dimness, they could see a little way to either side in a sort of darkened green glimmer. Occasionally a slender beam of sun that had the luck to slip in through some opening in the leaves far above, and still more luck in not being caught in the tangled boughs and matted twigs beneath stabbed down thin and bright before them. But this was seldom, and it soon ceased altogether. There were black squirrels in the wood. As Bilbo's sharp, inquisitive eyes got used to seeing things, he could catch glimpses of them whisking off the path and scuttling behind tree trunks. There were queer noises, too, grunts, 
scufflings and hurryings in the undergrowth, and among the leaves that lay piled endlessly thick in places on the forest floor. But what made the noises he could not see. The nastiest things they saw were the cobwebs, dark, dense cobwebs, with threads extraordinarily thick, often stretched from tree to tree or tangled in the lower branches on either side of them. There were none stretched across the path, but whether because some magic kept it clear or for what other reason, they could not guess. Though I would hazard to say that the magic's probably got something to do with it. <laughs> I would imagine so, yeah. I mean, really. Um, a little yeah. bit to unpack here, actually quite a bit. Quite a bit. And, yeah. and I notice, you know, right in the very first sentence, mm-hmm. well, no, the second sentence, because the first sentence is pretty short, but the, the second is. sentence already gives us our first bit of threshold imagery, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. The entrance to the path, it's an arch leading into a gloomy tunnel. Yeah. You really get the sense of them, you know, crossing Passing a threshold. In. As they yeah, this crossing that yeah. threshold. You're absolutely right. Um, the the oppressive quiet, mm-hmm. you know, that, that feeling, and it kind of reminds me, well, I shouldn't say it reminds me because, of course, Lord of the Rings hadn't been written yet. But it made me think of the way the trees paid attention uh, in Fangorn Forest to Merry oh, yeah, and Pippin yeah. and, you know, when they felt like they were being watched. Uh, yeah. The old forest, too, for that well, matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we even see here, you know, the trees leaned over them and listened. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, it, there's a sense that the forest is almost a character, has a yeah. personality. Oh, it's and we'll them. see it. It really. Yeah. And that's just it the does, beginning. Yeah. Cause it really yeah. does. Uh, it becomes a character in itself, certainly um, the major antagonist of this middle section of the book. Yeah. Um, I think you had also pointed out some of the some of the words that are used here, gloomy and strangled mm-hmm. and yeah, blackened. blackened. I mean, these are yeah. really, these are setting a mood. It, um, it is a dark, dark place. Yeah, it really is. Figuratively I mean, and literally. Yeah. And in fact, with the literally part, we look at the fact that the sun, it, I love this, it even takes luck for the beam of sun to make it in. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think in this case, it really is just luck. Um, yeah. And the, eventually, even that ceases altogether, that it becomes, mm-hmm. there's no sun at all. It's just that dense uh, and that dark. Black squirrels. I looked them up. There are such things. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're not exactly common. Um, there aren't very many of them. They're not exactly common, but they do exist. Uh, so I actually was more focused on the cool words that we get, like the scufflings. I love oh, that. Yeah. We get, you know, it kind of goes along with the shamblings and yeah. uh, all the other cool words that we've got. What were those words? The shamble? Scuffle. Scuffle. Oh, let's see. Scuttle and shamble. Yeah. And then I think we got scuffle with Bayorn a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And, um, and again, this is uh, this is really spooky stuff here. Oh, it really you know, is. The, the scufflings and hurryings in the undergrowth, you know, the, this idea of all these mm-hmm. little tiny animals just running around at your feet. And, oh. Yeah. I, the cobwebs not crossing the path. Mm-hmm. I love this. And I do think the magic has a lot to do with that. I think Everything so. to yeah. do with that, really. Yeah. We uh, talked a little bit last time about, you know, the fact that this is an elf path. We don't yes. see that uh, mentioned specifically here in this chapter, I don't think, but it's on the map. Right. And so, yeah, there, there's definitely magic here that's keeping the path clear. Yeah. At least at this point. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when we get to the boats, we realize somebody left those boats there. You that's know, right. the, the, yeah. the elves are, the elves don't just stay in their, their kingdom mm-hmm. at the far eastern end. But we'll get to and that. And yet when it's we get not to the elves that they're thinking of as they walk down this tunnel, are they? No, it is not. No, they're thinking it, of the goblin tunnels. There's they are thinking of the goblin, the tunnels. goblin tunnels. Very good comparison, really. I mean, just the yeah. fact that it seems like they never end. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wish that they could get some fresh air, some sun. Uh, they talk about how st- just stuffy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, just, ooh. Bilbo felt that he was being slowly suffocated. What a terrible, terrible sensation. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. 
You know, and before we as go a person on, with with mild claustrophobia, yeah. or at least I think I have mild claustrophobia because I've never actually I've never <laughs> I've never tested I've never been in, in a situation where I've tested that. Have you ever had to have to. like an MRI? No, no. Oh, uh, having gone through two shoulder surgeries, I've I've gone through a number of MRIs, and I can tell you, I'm slightly claustrophobic. I didn't think right. I was until they stick you in that Pepsi can of a machine. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when I when I was in the UK, I I. I did, I visited a couple of old buildings that had like really narrow stairways. Oh goodness! You want to get up to the to the yeah. roof of you know such and such cathedral. <laughs> you have to go through some really narrow stairways, and that was a little nerve wracking yeah. to me. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't, it's not as bad as as bees and heights, but you know I, I rank it up there. <laughs> bees and heights. Well, we're we're gonna get uh, some of the. We got some of those last chapter. We're gonna get more of those this chapter. I know. I, I know. I, spiders don't bother me. Bees do, but anyway. Spiders bother me now. You know, this, you know, spiders <laughs> as big as this, they would bother me. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, if I looked out the window of my booth and saw just the belly of a spider crawling up over it, I would yeah. never leave. That would, be, <laughs> that would be a problem. Yeah, that would be a very, very serious problem. Claustrophobia, no problem. Yeah, I'll stay in the booth exactly. for the rest of my life. <laughs> take, Until the fire department. I'll take all my meals in here. That's right. That's right. Oh, my anyway, goodness. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's okay. I wanted to have. Uh, I wanted to read one quick passage from uh, Olson's book before we move on to the next little section that we've marked out. Uh, he reminds us of something we should all notice when we read this chapter. He says that there are two different elements operating in the description of the forest of Mirkwood: its sinister darkness and its eerie fairy magic. To enter Mirkwood is to enter the realm of the Elven King, the enchanted land of fairy. At the same time, to enter Mirkwood is to be immersed in a choking darkness that smothers life and light and to be surrounded by black creatures, twisted and corrupted. Hmm. Yeah, but then he reminds us that we got to try not to confuse those two forces. They are at war with each other. The elves oppose mm-hmm. the darkness and the spiders. So there really are two very, mm-hmm. very big forces at work. One is ultimately evil and totally dark, and the other mm-hmm. may be good, but it's it's creepy and eerie. You know? Yeah. Uh, so it's not exactly friendly yeah. to the dwarves. So. Yeah. And and as we'll see when we really meet these elves later on, I mean these these elves are good. They're oh, good yeah. people. They're good people. But they're not, you know, they're not Calaquendi. They're not. No. They're not the the, the high more dangerous elves and less seen. wise. I believe mm-hmm. is the line we'll yeah. get, and w- yeah. that's one that I always think Probably about. Be, uh, yeah, that's that is a great passage mm-hmm. and a, a great quote for these elves. It really is. But uh, no, it's a good point because it, it is occasionally. Um, it, it is easy to confuse, you know, mm-hmm. what what enchantments in the forest are coming from the elves and which ones are coming from the evil. Right. And um, and we'll be talking about some of that. In yeah, this we will, because I, I think it's not on its face obvious, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, where some of them are coming from. Yeah. But you've got the next little passage here about the, the creepy pitch dark. All right. Once it actually turns nighttime. The nights were the worst. It then became pitch dark. Not what you call pitch dark, but really pitch so black that you really could see nothing. Bilbo tried flapping his hand in front of his nose, but he could not see it at all. Well, perhaps it is not true to say that they could see nothing. They could see eyes. They slept all closely huddled together and took it in turns to watch. And when it was Bilbo's turn, he would see gleams in the darkness round them. And sometimes pairs of yellow or red or green eyes would stare at him from a little distance and then slowly fade and disappear and slowly shine out again in another place. And sometimes they would gleam down from the branches just above him, and that was most terrifying. But the eyes that he liked the least were horrible, pale, bulbous sort of eyes. Insect eyes, he thought, 
Not animal eyes. Only they are much too big. Okay, that's really deeply foreboding. <laughs> quite. I mean, yes, just quite. creepy as can be. Mm-hmm. So dark, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Pitch dark. That's and really pretty dark. Have you ever I been in this. a situation that dark? Uh, no. No, I don't think I have. I don't know that I have. Because, I mean, you know, it's not what you call pitch dark, but it is really, really pitch. Right. Like, like literally, you cannot nothing. see your hand six inches in front of your yeah. eyeballs. I don't think I've ever been in a place that dark. That's really dark. Mm-hmm. My goodness. But then they could see the eyes. And it, oh. and it reminds me a little bit of that palpable darkness that we saw with Ungoliant. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. When we, you know, when we talked about the, the destruction of the trees. The darkness the, had, a, like, a presence of, of its own. A, a, yeah. A, yeah, it wasn't just an absence of light, but it was a, a choking physical thing mm-hmm. that, that was oppressive. Yeah. And I, I get a little bit of that here, and, and it's no surprise, as everybody who's read this chapter, which I think is everyone listening, knows, right. you know, that, you know, there are there are some some things to connect this back to Ungoliant. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and we do get more, we're not going to read it in the next paragraph, but we do get some more of the black creatures. We have black moths and black bats. And I think oh, that's you what you're go. thinking of, because there are the squirrels, the moths, the bats, mm-hmm. and then the butterflies yep. are all black. Uh, yep. And the heart. So. And the heart. Um, was the heart black or was the heart dark? I couldn't remember. I believe the heart was black, because I think, the, I think there's, right. a, there's yeah. something in the description about the doe being as white as the heart was black. Oh, there you go. Okay. If I remember yeah. correctly, but we'll have to okay. see Okay, yeah, we well, we'll there. see it in a, in a minute, I guess. Uh, we'll find out if my memory is all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> it, it often isn't. Um, yeah. So they had black bats. Yep, black bats. Is there, bats. is there a bat black conservationist the around here, though? There, is there's there... not, but there is a bat conservationist. <laughs> we, we got one of those here. We yeah. do. We do. He's on the other end of my, my phone line here. Um, <laughs> that I've joke, been talking to bats all night. That joke is, I mean, really, it's going to have to end here because I don't think we get bats again. Uh, but I had to bring it in. We, we don't, do we? We no. don't really get... No, no more flying I kind of feel like rats. we need to go back and do some more stuff with Thuringwethel just so we can get some more bat jokes. Just so we can get bat jokes? Yeah. Same. Riddle me this, riddle me that. Yeah, there you go. Same bat time. <laughs> um, I also thought it was interesting that he used the word uncanny to describe the darkness. You know, we talked mm. about that back when we had the uncanny fire of Gandalf's, uh, uh, you know, pine cones, pine cones of doom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and here, you know, we, we, we see the same thing, that the darkness is described as uncanny. Um, That's a really good catch because I, as you were saying that, I just now looked it up and it, it the, the word only appears three times in the book. Oh, does it really? And th- this is the third, that. yeah. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it certainly kind of has that that feeling of uh, not something natural. Eerie, something something supernatural. Right. Yeah. Supernatural. Yeah. That's a good way. Beyond natural. So what? They're here for days, right? Yes. Ages upon ages as yep, they're going yep, through yep. this. And this is this this is something that was interesting to me as I was doing some some research for this mm-hmm. episode, as I do. Believe it or not. <laughs> Five, ten minutes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I found this in, in Ratliff's History of the Hobbit, mm-hmm. and I had no idea of this. Virtually all of, like, the next five pages yeah. of this chapter, from all this went on mm-hmm. um, to basically when when they first hear the elves laughing at the right. bottom of, uh, it's page 136, basically page 131 to page 136 of the paperback edition that mm-hmm. we're reading, was not in Tolkien's first draft of the manuscript. That's correct. So even though Bayorn warns them about the stream in the previous chapter, the stream didn't appear in the first draft. No, it didn't. <laughs> Maybe Tolkien just forgot to include it. But it is interesting that when he went back and added it later, he not only added the stream, but mm-hmm. he also added the heart, the white deer, the sound of the hunt. Well, thanks for spoiling those things. <laughs> I know. Well, you know. 
Yeah. I'm sure everybody's read it. It's all yeah. coming soon. Yeah, it is. But as we're going to to see in a moment, these are all really potent Huge. folklore motifs yeah. that that we well, we'll be talking yeah. about them when we get to them. But it's interesting that he just he packed so many of them into just a few pages that he, he really had did. Later on. I mean, just in five pages, you've got all of those, mm-hmm. and, and they're huge. They really are. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't and wait. And they all to get sort to of give this idea of, of of them entering this, you know, passing this into this fairy realm. Yeah, it's all about fairy. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, before they get there, though, they they do try to shoot at the squirrels, which would be a you know quite a task. But they did finally get one. Tasted awful. Probably like I don't know. I'm trying to think. Uh, should I should I share this? I've actually eaten squirrel before. You've eaten well. You do you you originally I grew up came in Louisiana, from Louisiana. Uh, yes, so, I've eaten yeah. squirrel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I've eaten squirrel. I mean, it wasn't like a every day, every Sunday no. thing, but no. Yeah, I've I've eaten some squirrel. Interesting. And had buckshot in it. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> had buckshot. <laughs> it did. Yeah, it would I have actually. To. Yeah. Yeah. How else are you gonna? Yeah. So is that is that like rabbit? I mean, what is it? I mean, it's kind of a. It, uh, I like rabbit more. I'm, yeah. I'm, I've actually eaten rabbit a few times in my life. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I've had a... I rather like rabbit. Um, it was uh, it was stewed okay. and very gamey. Yeah, I was going to say it's got to be gamey as can be. I mean, yeah. just and and this is like 35 years ago. I barely remember it. Yeah, but yeah. Interesting. I know I've it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting how many arrows they wasted before they actually got <laughs> one down. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense of desperation here that I think is easy to miss. I mean, how many That's times true. do you shoot? And miss a squirrel before you just decide it's not worth it. Right. But they kept on going. They're so they, hungry. They need they got, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We don't really find out how long they were here. We can estimate, and we will later when we get to some some parts where they do talk about a time frame. Mm-hmm. But they were clearly in here for a long time before they get yeah, to this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that makes sense. You know, if you look at the map, the crossing of the river that we're about to get to is what about halfway through the width of uh, of Mirkwood on that Elven Path? Yeah, about that. Yeah. So it's it's a you know good probably a couple of weeks in. Uh, yeah. Very very long journey. And this for, is a big big forest. It's I mean. huge. This is like yeah. continent spanning forest. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, what is it? Two hundred miles? No, they said two hundred miles to go to the north and twice that to the south. So if we actually did the math and kind of estimated, we could probably come up with an idea because if it's a six hundred mile forest, you know, north-south, you know, you'd have to ballpark there, it. There's going to be geometry involved in this, and I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm not I saying we do geometry. it now. <laughs> no, I, can't. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. Maybe that's something to do for our postscript. Maybe so. Is to, to kind of research the idea of how long would they have been there, how long right. is the yeah. distance based on scale, based on what they've described, things like that. Right. Um, but, yeah, you're right. They were there. They were obviously desperate, very hungry. Uh, you got to be desperate because, really, there's 13 of you. How much yeah. squirrel are you going to eat? <laughs> That's really a good point. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're you're basically shooting one down so you can all have one bite. <laughs> yeah. One terrible, like a, horrible tasting oh, bite. Like the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The, the whole, I, I never saw thing. it. Oh, you never did? Nope. Um, There's a scene where three guys share a gopher that they've killed and... <laughs> <laughs> and and one of them just says, you know what, I'm I'm not even going to eat any because I think just you know a third of a gopher is just going to make me hungrier. Basically, there you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really, I mean, what a thirteenth of a squirrel? <laughs> <That's>... yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty small portion. Um, luckily, they weren't going to have to go after any more because they just tasted terrible. Yes. So then we get to my favorite uh, section in the chapter: uh, that let's play lifeboat. <laughs> I'll go ahead and read uh, a little bit here. I'm not going to read the whole passage, obviously. Very long. Well, they were thirsty, too, for they had none too much water. 
and in all the time they had seen neither spring nor stream. This was their state when one day they found their path blocked by a running water. It flowed fast and strong, but not very wide, right across the way, and it was black, or looked it in the gloom. It was well that Bayorn had warned them against it, or they would have drunk from it, whatever its color, and filled some of their emptied skins at its bank. As it was, they only thought of how to cross it without wetting themselves in its water. Please note, that's without wetting themselves. That's different. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure we... <laughs> I don't think any of them were concerned about bladder control The water is very warm, it's... <laughs> and they're, they're just not... They're going to lose control as soon exactly. as they get in there. There had been a bridge of wood across, but it had rotted and fallen, leaving only the broken posts near the bank. Bilbo, kneeling on the brink and peering forward, cried, There is a boat against the far bank. Now, why couldn't it have been on this side? How far away do you think it is? asked Thorin, for by now they knew Bilbo had the sharpest eyes among them. Not at all far. I should, shouldn't think above twelve yards. Twelve yards? I should have thought it was thirty at least, but my eyes don't see as well as they used a hundred years ago. Still, twelve yards is as good as a mile. We can't jump it, and we daren't try to wade or swim. Can any of you throw a rope? What's the good of that? The boat is sure to be tied up, even if we could hook it, which I doubt. Well, there you go, Thorn being the ultimate pessimist. Yeah, um, right. I mean, really. Let's not even bother. Yeah, it's sure let's, to be tied uh, up. yeah let's just jump in and die. I mean, he's so, it's like, <laughs> what are we, uh, is the glass half empty, Thorn? I don't know. It's half full of poison, maybe. I don't maybe. know. It's not even, there's not, it's completely dry. It's just, that's right. It's not even a glass. Stall your imagination. Empty. There's no glass. Um, bro- the glass is broken. Yeah, the, the glass is a lie. It's like the cake is a lie. <laughs> the, gla- the glass is a lie. The cake is a lie. Very nice. Uh, that might be our first that portal reference. First portal reference. Yeah, 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 I think so. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, I noticed that, you know, the, the text first says that the, the river or the stream uh, flowed fast and strong. Well, it's just described actually as a water at this point, a running water, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. very wide. I'm, it's 35 feet wide. That's not. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a, yeah. that's a good chunk of distance. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's not the Mississippi. You know. I right. Mean, yeah. I guess it's it's a manageable distance, but it, you can't afford it here. Um, right. But it is it, it it is an interesting symbol, isn't it? We've talked about thresholds, mm-hmm. and we've yep. got another one. Yeah. So, and no apparent way to get across except for this boat, which is on the other side. Yep. Yep. Now, but you've... they do. They do remember that they can't get wet yeah. right now. They remember Bayorn's warning. Yeah, that's good. Wet. I mean, it's not like they've forgotten, like, oh, well, you know, they're not under some hallucinatory uh, influence of the forest. Just mm-hmm. just saying randomly in case somebody thought that maybe the forest might make you hallucinate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm not criticizing anybody who might have suggested such a thing. I'm just <laughs> mentioning casually that it... There's no hallucinations going on. Hey, I actually liked the hallucinogenic. I know, I know you did. I remember that was one of your uh, good yeah, moments. That was, one of the, yeah. that was a good one. Yeah. So, but, um, um, yeah, they do yeah, remember, there's... you know, we can't drink from this. We don't want to get wet. Um, yeah. And remember, for anybody who might remember, who might not remember, uh, Baron's warning was the stream causes great drowsiness and forgetfulness. Yeah. yeah. And we will see a lot of that very soon. <laughs> yes, we will. Um, I, I will say uh, that there is... This this is one of those things that is a very common folklore motif, yeah. this enchanted stream that causes sleepiness and forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Olga. Mm-hmm. Um, her her last initial is P, and I think her last name is pronounced uh, Polomoshnova. Um, I am glad got, you tried. Uh, 
<laughs> I tried, and 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 Olga, if I got that wrong, please correct me. She is Miss um, Olga to me. I, I don't I yes. don't try to pronounce. I I would <laughs> sadly embarrass myself. Well, it's uh, that that's my that's my college try. There so you go. Again, Olga, let me know if I got that right yeah. or wrong. But um, she's actually got a blog called Middle Earth Reflections, yeah. where she's she does essays. I, and phenomenal essays. Week. I mean, really, really. If, if really you haven't checked them out, folks, you should. And we'll put a link in our show notes. We'll put a link in our show notes. We've we've talked I think about we've some linked of her, her stuff to her. Before. Yeah, we've linked to her before. We have, but yeah, definitely should check yeah. it out. But she did a study of enchanted streams and some of the. Uh, some of the sort of the folklore references mm-hmm. um, involved there. And she she picked out a couple that I think are worth really pointing out here. There's a stream in the story of St. Brendan the Navigator, which is a, a mariner saint who's important in Irish Catholicism. Okay. Tolkien knew the character well. He actually wrote a poem about St. Brendan that's printed in uh, the Notion Club papers oh. in Sauron Defeated. Okay. And if you, if you look closely enough, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of things in St. Brendan that are sort of inspirations for my favorite mariner, oh, Arendil. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Um, so, so there is a, a stream in that story that, that is a, a stream of, of Enchantment. Uh, sleepiness and forgetfulness, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, and and then there's also um, similarities to the river Lethe from Greek mythology, oh, yeah. which is one that that I've always thought of. That was sort of the river of forgetfulness in the underworld. Dante has that in there. In, um... Dante, yes, Dante actually took it from Greek mythology, and he actually put it at the boundary between purgatory and paradise. That's what I was. Th- that's the only comedy. thing that I remembered from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's another threshold there that you oh, know, yeah. Dante's. You know, drink from this water, and then you're prepared for paradise. Um, again, Tolkien knew Dante very well. Yeah, and, he would have. Um, Another, so, yeah, yeah. The, again, very potent image, mm-hmm. uh, this enchanted stream. And, um, and yeah, I mean, and, and as you said, they, they recognize the fact that, oh, this is that enchanted stream. We can't, yeah. we can't touch we this. We can't thing. touch this. Don't touch this. Don't touch this. No more. But, no more. Ref- we are way. No, more no, we're way unqualified together. Yes, we are. Um, but Bilbo is the one yeah. who comes up with. I love that. We're starting to see here. Bilbo kind of step to the fore, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, so he comes up with the idea about the rope, and you know, we're not going to read that whole passage. But you know, Feely throws the rope. He misses. Um, you know, I actually just noticed that Thorin actually asked him to to look and tell him how far away it was. Yeah. They're, they're actually recognizing that Bilbo has the best. Bilbo eyesight. has the so best eyesight. Yeah, that's an interesting step for him. That is. Know? Well, that I think before they would have good for they would have thought Feely and Keeley being the youngest. Uh, but right. I think they realize that even now that uh, that Bilbo has better eyes than they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so interesting. Dory is the strongest, but Feely is the youngest. I, uh, Dory's the strongest. Now I know. Again, I'm not trying to criticize the movies, but it's funny because I would have thought if you're looking at the films, Dwalin is probably the strongest, Dwal- right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's the big bad. The Dory's big, the guy who who wanted guy. to bring him a little glass of wine. <laughs> it's kind of that's right. Probably yeah. the least strong, other than uh, the the young guy, the one who whose name escapes me. Um, you know which one I'm talking about? Oh, um, was it Ori? Ori, I think. Yeah. 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 I think so. Was he the, the youngest? Young... Kind of skinny one. Yeah, the yeah. skinny one who, who did the – yeah, yeah, we'll just leave it I think that. it was Ori. Yeah. I think so too. But anyway, I get them all mixed up. And it seems like Tolkien yeah. did too for the most part. But um, well, They don't really – No, there's very little they individual – They don't really emerge as separate right. characters for the most part. Exactly. So, maybe maybe Balin. Yeah. Maybe Dory a little bit. And we get we get Balin saving the day here. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, anyway, they, they, they figure out the idea of how they're going to do it. And eventually they do get onto the – they get the hook onto the boat and they pull it over, mm-hmm. uh, but it takes quite a bit of effort. Uh, the boat breaks free and, and almost knocks Bilbo over, uh, 
Balin grabs it uh, just as, as it starts to float away. He saves mm-hmm. the day. Uh, I do love there's a word here, by the way, about the snapped painter that was still dangling. Um, oh, yeah. You've got yeah. a little bit of word nerdery on that. I, I do know that it's a rope that um, that ties the boat to like a key. Key spelled Q-U-A-Y, uh, you know, a, right. a pier, yeah. a, a, a jetty, pier. Yeah. something like that. Yeah. Some 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 piece of a dock. Right. Some, part of, some place where you dock a boat. Sitting, yeah, sitting um, by the dock of the bay. There you go. Wasting time. Uh, Otis Redding. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, no, the only thing I, I got on it is the etymology of it. Yeah. It is not at all related to paint no. or painting or painters. Um, it actually comes from Old French. I think it's penteur. Okay. And that ultimately comes from the Latin uh, the Latin word for to hang, pendo, oh. pendere. Okay. So, yeah. So, it, it basically, it's something that's hanging. I wondered about basically. that. I mean, I knew, I knew what the word meant, but I wasn't sure what its root was. Yeah. And that's interesting that it's not related. I thought maybe it was like the same root, but like it had a second meaning, but it's really a totally different word. Yeah. Yeah. It's just spelled the same, sounds the same, and looks the same. But, um, all right. You know, that's, that doesn't mean anything <laughs> in etymology. No, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, but I do love the, the order of boatloads. First of all, once again, poor Bomber getting fat shamed again. Um, poor guy. Man. Yeah. But this, but I want to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm digressing you, again. You are, but that's okay. This always reminds me of the old brain teaser. You ever heard that one? Yeah. You've got a boat that only holds 200 pounds. Yeah, yeah. And there's a father and two sons. The father weighs 200 pounds. The sons weigh 100 pounds each. Yeah. How do you get them all across? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just or the I or the, the brain teasers about you know getting the the you know, you've got five sheep and two wolves or yeah and the wolves will eat the sheep and you know this kind of thing and so you got to get them yeah. apart separately. I don't you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I used to know how to solve those things. I'm not so sure anymore. No, me me either. Um, there is you a, lose those skills as you get older. You really do. And we have gotten older. We well yeah. Yeah, I don't want to admit it, but it is true. Um, so there's an interesting observation I want to make here because as they load up, the, the as he talks about the boat loads, he wants to go with Bilbo, Thorin, wants to go with Bilbo, Feely, and Balin, and then Keeley separately. Now, that's because I think at this point, Keeley is the heir because if we looked earlier, he says that Feely is the youngest. Now, you know that Feely and Keeley are would be the ones that are in, in direct line for um, inheriting the throne if Thorin were to die. Mm-hmm. Right. So that makes me think that at this point in the story, Keeley is older than Feely. But there's an interesting okay. thing. In Appendix A of The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien gives the birth date of Feely as 2859 and the birth date of Keeley as 2864. Which would make Feely the heir to the so throne. So according to Lord of the Rings, Feely is older. That's correct. So there must have been some sort of change in the middle. But, uh, you know, Thorin says Feely's the youngest. Um, and in theory, then, Thorin is basically following Federation regulations, saying that both the captain and first officer should be on the same away team. Uh, and so he leaves Keely to the next boat so that if if uh, if he were to go down, then, right, then Keely yeah. would not go down with him. So. Right. Anyway, interesting. Just so you That's all know, catch, yeah. we did look, or at least I looked, you know, I did some research too. Uh, I could not find anything that addresses the conflict, <laughs> let alone resolves the conflict between the Hobbit text saying Feely's the youngest and the Lord of the Rings appendix that says Feely's the oldest. So, sorry. Every once in a while we get those yeah, folks. We, that's going to happen. Do what we can to resolve them, but sometimes. That's going to happen. Just doesn't work. But uh, they do get the boat over and then they solve the crossing. They figure out how mm-hmm. they're going to do it. Uh, and once yep. they've done it, Sean, you're going to pick up there, right? Yep, uh, yeah, I am. And we're going to see the the something bad that happens to Bomber yeah. for, for <laughs> grumbling against orders. 
In this way, they were all soon on the far bank, safe across the enchanted stream. Dwalin had just scrambled out with the coiled rope on his arm, and Bombur, still grumbling, was getting ready to follow, when something bad did happen. There was a flying sound of hooves on the path ahead. Out of the gloom came suddenly the shape of a flying deer. It charged into the dwarves and bowled them over, and gathered itself for a leap. High it sprang and cleared the water with a mighty jump, but it did not reach the other side in safety. Thorin was the only one who had kept his feet and his wits. As soon as they had landed, he had bent his bow and fitted an arrow in case any hidden guardian of the boat appeared. Now he sent a swift and sure shot into the leaping beast. As it reached the further bank, it stumbled. The shadows swallowed it up, but they heard the sound of hooves quickly falter and then go still. Before they could shout in praise of the shot, however, a dreadful wail from Bilbo put all thoughts of venison out of their minds. Bomber has fallen in! Bomber is drowning! he cried. It was only too true. Bomber had only one foot on the land when the heart bore down on him and sprang over him. He had stumbled, thrusting the boat away from the bank and then toppled back into the dark water, his hands slipping off the slimy roots at the edge while the boat span, soft, span slowly off and disappeared. Hmm. Wow. wow. What a moment, huh? Yeah, I mean, you talk about if if things had gone just, you know, a little differently, if the timing had just been a few seconds off, how differently yeah, yeah. things had, would have happened. You know? Yeah, or if Thorne hadn't decided to fat shame Bomber and put him in the last boat. Oh, that's a good point, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. No, I mean, because Bomber being in, at, at the end, he's the one who's, you know, struggling mm -hmm. and having a hard time getting out of the boat. Yeah. I think the others, any of the others would have already been safely out. Right. Yeah. Um, I also note that, you know, I talked about how the, the heart is, is black. We get no description of the color. Not here, but I think only later on. But we draw on, right? that from, exactly, we draw that from something later where it's an, an inference based on the opposite. Mm -hmm. Right. But we'll get to that. Yeah, we will get there soon. So, just wanted to point that out since it doesn't say anything. Yep. Uh, Thorin prepared. Can you believe it? He's ready to For go. Once. Yeah. <laughs> For once. For once. Oh, man. And I, I just want to take a moment to talk a little bit about this idea of the heart. Shot through the heart. Oh, God. <laughs> oh man. Wow. Thorin, wow. you give. Thorin, you give Sorry. love. I had to do that. You did. You I, really I just did. had to. You really did. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there are others. <laughs> Probably. Total eclipse of the heart. I don't know. Total. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, man. This is bad, bad or, uh, stuff. ABC, shoot that poison arrow through my heart. Through my heart. It's not a poison arrow, but no. it's the only thing in this forest no. that isn't poison. Just about. Um, Goodness. So, um, <laughs> I, I, well, we, we digress. We digress a little bit. Yeah, I, we do. We do. I want, it's good stuff. I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of the heart knocking somebody over, because this yeah. is also an image from folklore. Uh, I found yes, it this is. one in Mallory's Mort d'Arthur uh, at the wedding feast oh. of Arthur and Guinevere. Um, and, and Sir Thomas Mallory, Mort d'Arthur, one of like the main works of Arthurian legend in, in the English language. Mm -hmm. So in that, at the wedding feast of King Arthur and Guinevere, uh, a white heart, not a dark one, but a white one, and that's going to be interesting in a moment, um, runs into the hall chased by a hunting dog and actually leaps, just like this heart does, and knocks over a knight sitting at the table. And then mm. all the animals and the knight that got knocked over all run out together in what must have been a really hilarious scene. 
But that actually <laughs> is the start of a quest for for Sir Gawain to go and bring back the White Heart. And so it's like this big, you know, start mm. of a quest. Ah, but it was a, it's a White Heart. It is then. a White Heart. Okay, well, we're going to get to that to a White then, deer in just a moment. Right. Yeah, so, that's very significant. So what we see here is, as usual, Tolkien is taking the different bones of mythology and he's using them a little differently in his story. But I think a couple of things that, that are significant about this heart knocking over Bombor and, and, and you know, knocking over the dwarves mm-hmm. is, first of all, it's foreshadowing the hunt that we're going to hear later. Yeah. And yeah. it's also a sign that something really important is about to happen. Just like just like this heart knocking somebody over is the start of a quest for Sir Gawain, this is going to be the start. Mm. So, somebody's going to get a hero moment pretty yeah. soon yeah. here. And, of course, we know that somebody is Bilbo. But Yes, it is. So, again, using that language of mythology to foreshadow what's going to happen, it's... Uh, Mm-hmm. And and again, it, so soon on on the on the heels oh, yeah. of the enchanted stream and the, this, these few pages that are just so full of these, these is really rich. There's a ton mm-hmm. of of folklore references. There really yeah. are, and I think you know to be fair on first reading, especially reading it as a children's book, you're not going to catch those no, things. No, not at all. I think that's what makes you know these deep readings and and studies of other sources so interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to make sure you're not looking at the bones too closely, right? I mean, this isn't. You know, don't mistake it for. We want to enjoy the soup, right? Exactly, right? and don't mis- go all the way back to episode one, <laughs> and don't try to draw too much meaning from you know no, from the bones, no, no. but understand what he's. Yeah, let's not try to analogize Bilbo and Sir Gawain. No, exactly. That's <laughs> you know, that's not what's not... going on here. But no, but he is use, he's sort of uh, telegraphing these, yes, these sort of that's a good you know, way these, to put these it. ideas from this this language of mythology. It, it's almost as though he's throwing all of these things at the reader, hoping that at least one of them will stick. Mm-hmm. And let the reader know that we're dealing with fairy here. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. all of these come back to that, don't they? That's true. Yeah, they do. And if you just pick up on one of these, and in fact, the narrator even tells us if the dwarves had just picked up on one of these, they would have known something. That's true. Right? We're gonna yeah, get to we're going to see that but, scene. Um, and so I think in a way, he's kind of telling the readers, too. Yeah. Anyway, it's a good thing, by the way, Bomber fell asleep after he grabbed the rope, I should no just No kidding, say. man. <laughs> I mean, he's gone. He's just out. Um, boat's gone now. And, of course, they're, they're cursing their ill luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, luck, you know, showing up. Yep. And we'll get to that. I'm actually going to read that line. But, you know, it's a shame they can't get the venison now. Uh, you know, they've wasted a perfectly good mm-hmm. kill. Um, Once again, certainly you not know, remember that their arrows are a finite resource. And... Oh, yes. Yes. This is not yeah. like most RPGs where, right. you know, you just have <laughs> an infinite, infinite supply, supply of arrows. Or that you can loot some later on. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Or that you can strip some branches and immediately craft them right. in, you know, seconds. Um, you know, this is when they're out, they're out. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up the next passage here about the hunt. They were still standing over him, cursing their ill luck and Bomber's clumsiness and lamenting the loss of the boat, which made it impossible for them to go back and look for the heart. When they became aware of the dim blowing of horns in the wood and the sound as of dogs baying far off, then they all fell silent. And as they sat, it seemed they could hear the noise of a great hunt going by to the north of the path though they saw no sign of it. There they sat for a long while and did not dare to make a move. Bomber slept on with a smile on his fat face as if he no longer cared for all the troubles that vexed them. Suddenly, on the path ahead appeared some white deer, a hind and fawns as snowy white as the heart had been dark. They glimmered in the shadows. Before Thorin could cry out, three of the dwarves had leaped to their feet and loosed off arrows from their bows. None seemed to find their mark. The deer turned and vanished in the trees, 
as silently as they had come, and in vain the dwarves shot their arrows after them. Stop! Stop! shouted Thorin. But it was too late. The excited dwarves had wasted their last arrows, and now the bows that Beorn had given them were useless. Mm. Well, that's most unfortunate. Yes. Um, that word, I know we want to go back and talk about a lot of that, but that word useless mm-hmm. just gets you in the gut. Boy, doesn't it? I mean, just ugh, now we've got these, I mean, I guess they're very small clubs. <laughs> very slender clubs. Very slender <laughs> clubs. That, that they're not going to be able or to very do much whips. damage. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty much absolutely useless now. Yep. So, so we get the... Go, go ahead, I'm so sorry. Do you want to go back and talk about this hunt? Because that's I do, big, yeah. I do. Um, it's really significant. I mean, really significant. Uh, the horns, the baying dogs. Mm-hmm. And I love this. This is where we get the idea that the, that the, the, the heart was black, right? right? We get that there were white deer... And they were as snowy white as the heart had been right. dark. Right. Yeah, that's a, that was a good catch because I'm thinking yeah. dark heart. But yeah, if it's if they're as white as the yeah. heart is dark, if the it's the opposite of white, yeah, then exactly. they must have been black. Yep. Uh, and and I love the description of them glimmering in the shadows. Mm, yeah. There's there's something kind of magical about there that. There absolutely even. is when you consider that yeah. you know there's there's not mm-hmm. really a lot of light coming into this forest. No, and we'll see a, a very similar word in a passage that I'm going to read in a little bit here. Um, I really want to talk about this hunt itself, the fact that there's some significance here. You know, you talked about these folklore traditions, mm-hmm. these folklore uh, tales. Uh, Anderson points out that encounters with white animals, especially deer, are predictors of an upcoming encounter with fairy. And that's why later on when the narrator says, let's see if I look at it here, if they had known more about it and considered the meaning of the hunt and the white deer that had appeared on their path, they would have known they were drawing near the eastern edge. There you go. Now, why would they have known that? I have to tell you, the first few times I read that, I had no clue why would they know mm-hmm. that. Is it what deers only deer only hang out near the edge of the forest instead of in the middle? I I don't know, maybe. But it's all about the color of that of that deer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it says: the hunt and the white deer. Mm-hmm. Well, again, Celtic tradition uh, encounters with white animals are those predictors of an encounter with fairy. Right. Yep. And there's a really cool moment in the lay of Outru and Itrun, which was written by Tolkien. Um, in or around 1930. Uh, I'm reading this from the edited version that was released recently by Dr. Verlin Flieger. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting in line 259. Beneath the woodland's hanging eaves, a white doe startled under leaves. Strangely, she glistered in the sun as she leaped forth and turned to run. Then reckless after her he spurred. Dim laughter in the woods he heard, but he did not. A longing strange for deer that fair and fearless range vexed him. For venison of the beast, whereon no mortal hunt shall feast. Hmm. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's that similar word. You know, I mentioned the glimmer, and here we get the word glistered, right. which, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, they, they, that's pretty much a synonym. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it basically means sparkle or glimmer. Yeah. Yeah. So we get the white doe, the same kind of glimmering, uh, and the recognition that the, the presence of this white doe uh, is is significant in terms of fairy. Mm-hmm. Dr. Flieger points it out in her end notes when she she comments on that particular passage. She says that the color of the doe identifies her as an otherworld creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes on to talk about the common motif of a hunter pursuing an elusive deer only to have her become a beautiful woman before ending the note by observing that one function of such an animal is to lead the mortal deep into a wood, traditionally a point of contact with the other world. Boy, that's exactly what's going Which to happen. Which is exactly here. Yeah. what's happening right yeah, here, isn't it? Absolutely, love that. And that that um, poem, that the lay of Outru and Itrune, oh. is is 
one of those early poems by Tolkien that is so much about these two worlds, the mortal world and the fairy world. It really is. Um, yeah. One of my yeah. favorites for that. It is creepy. <laughs> it's, it is. It, it's dark. It is it's dark. It's, if you wonder, if you think that Tolkien's all, you know, happy and cheerful yeah. because you've never read Turin or you've never read Kullervo, yeah. yeah. <laughs> try reading The Lay of Outro in Itrin. Yeah. And, and, don't, uh, and don't believe the, you know, the the stuff that was on the on the internet about when it first came out, you know, everybody was talking on the internet. Oh, this is basically, you know, the 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 prototype of Galadriel. Like, mm, oh goodness, no, no. I mean, no. It, you know, maybe five percent, <laughs> but no, it's it's totally different. It's dark. Only in the fact that she's only a the female fact that she's a, in the woods. a beautiful fairy <laughs> queen. You know, that's that's yeah, pretty much yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but oh, and I think she's got a file. I think you may be right. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there are a couple of these these early poems of Tolkien's that really deal with the, the sort of this border between worlds. The other one mm-hmm. that is my favorite that I think is we've also seen a little hint of because of this idea of this sound of a hunt going on in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be uh, Sir Orfeo, which is oh, okay. a, a Middle English yeah. poem that Tolkien translated. You can actually read it. It's in the volume of translations with uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and Pearl. And Pearl, um, yeah. And Sir Ofeo is the, is the third one of that. Um, and it it's is. got a fairy hunt in it very prominently. Um, in that story, uh, just real briefly, there's a lord na- named Orfeo who learns that his wife, uh, Herodis, and it, here's where it's basically the, the Greek story of Orpheus and Eurydice, but... Right. made more medieval and fairy and things like that. But basically, mm-hmm. um, Orfeo learns that his wife has been abducted by fairies after falling asleep next to a tree, I would point out. Uh, and, he, well. and he searches for her wandering in this forest for years until eventually he hears the horns of the fairy king's hunt. And after following them, he learns that his wife has been doomed to ride with the fairies. And, wow. um, and I, I would, the, the language that Tolkien uses to translate the poem actually really echoes this sentence of, of The Hobbit, which... I want to read, and I was really proud of this because I found this on my own, and I was ready to talk about it in this episode. And then oh, I went and looked yes. in the Annotated Hobbit, and I found out that Douglas Anderson had found the exact same thing. So yeah. hat tip to Douglas Anderson and the Annotated Hobbit. Um, I did find this one on my own, too, but it's in there. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Here's, here's the How many times has that happened? I know. I know. I mean, it's, he's, you know. I'll come up with some really cool observation yeah. about thematic connections, and I'll be like, oh, Corey Olson. Yeah, right. Exactly. You <laughs> did it before. Yeah, me. Exa- you think, it. like I'm so I, I'm so proud of myself for finding this, and then you find you know somebody yeah. else has already written about it. But uh, yep. so here's the passage from Orfeo that I wanted to bring in. There often by him would he see when noon was hot on leaf and tree, the king of fairy with his rout came hunting in the woods about with blowing far and crying dim, and barking hounds that were with him. And that's very yes. similar to the the first Boy, paragraph that you read about the the dogs baying and um, the blowing yeah, the of horns. Yeah, the dim blowing of horns. Yeah, and well, you're not kidding. And just as in Sir Orfeo, what we're seeing here is a passage that's telling us that our heroes are in this enchanted forest that belongs to another worldly king. And so, even yeah. before they meet the elves face to face, their pre- the elves' presence in these woods is foreshadowed, and it's only a matter of time before our heroes are going to be face to face with them. Very, very much so. Wow. That's a cool passage to bring in. Thank you for that. I, you know, when I found the the passage from uh, the Lay of Outro and Itrian, I was like, oh yeah, I found something really cool. But, uh, you know, that that is another just spot on. I mean, it sounds like it's exactly this yeah. paragraph, but yeah. but written, you know, hundreds of years previous. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, these are two of my favorite poems by Tolkien. I will just say there's yeah the, the, some great stuff there. A, a little dark, um, a little creepy, mm-hmm. but really really appropriate to this Merkwood scene. 
Well, and we'll make sure to put um, uh, links to to this to both volumes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they're already in our library, but we'll put links to both volumes in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Um, because I know I know that um, the volume that contains Sir Orfeo and, and Sir Gowan and Pearl, I, I know that's available in paperback. Is the Lay of Outru and Itrune available in paperback yet? I know I have Not a hardback. Not that I know of. I have, a, I have a hardcover. Okay. Well, we'll see. Maybe maybe it is because I mean it, it's it's worth it's definitely worth getting. It's worth getting either way. But I mean, if you know if you're on a budget and you want to get a paperback, that might uh, maybe that'll help you out. But we'll provide some sort of link for that. Yeah, but, definitely. Well, let's see. So where are we? We've we've gone through the also, you know the fairy hunts, and yeah. now they're trying to deal with carrying carrying bomber. bomber. That's right. Of and course, only, it had to be bomber. Of, right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it has to be the heaviest <laughs> one. Right. And it's only they can only do it because their packs are. Nearly empty. Or so much lighter. They're yeah. practically, yeah, they're almost completely empty. That's kind of a um, silver fact, lining, even... isn't it? I mean, you know. <laughs> well, we're out of food, but at least we can carry Bomber now. Yeah, I'm sure nobody said that. I'm sure they didn't. <laughs> I'm sure they all cursed Bomber over <laughs> and sure. over. And cursed the fact uh, and, that they were out of food. Of course. And, you know, they even get to the point where there's nothing left. Uh, and and they're, the only things they can find are, <laughs> I love this, funguses and herbs with pale leaves and an unpleasant smell. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm imagining stinkhorn mushrooms. Oh goodness! Wow, that would that would definitely be unpleasant smell. Yeah. So, uh, you've but got just the next a, it is passage. just a nasty place. Yeah, a, it really a nasty, is. This vile and, place. And and it's getting nastier. It seems. It's true. You know, as yeah. they get deeper and deeper in. I mean, as bad as it was before with the trees overlooking, and the darkness and the creepy eyes. Now you've got the danger of the stream. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, the fact that now they're totally out of food. I mean, I guess that's – I guess it's not really the forest's fault that they're out of food. But no, that's I, true. I, it's always going to be more dangerous in the interior because that's when you're going to run out of supplies. Yeah. The fact is there's just nothing there for them to eat. Right. Oh, man. But it's about to get better. Well – A little bit. Yes, after it gets worse. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. About four days from the enchanted stream, they came to a part where most of the trees were beeches. They were at first inclined to be cheered by the change, for here there was no undergrowth and the shadow was not so deep. There was a greenish light about them, and in places they could see some distance to either side of the path. Yet the light only showed them endless lines of straight gray trunks like the pillars of some huge twilight hall. There was a breath of air and a noise of wind, but it had a sad sound. A few leaves came rustling down to remind them that outside autumn was coming on. Their feet ruffled among the dead leaves of countless other autumns that drifted over the banks of the path from the deep red carpets of the forest. Still, Bomber slept, and they grew very weary. At times they heard disquieting laughter. Sometimes there was singing in the distance, too. The laughter was the laughter of fair voices, not of goblins, and the singing was beautiful. But it sounded eerie and strange, and they were not comforted. Rather, they hurried on from those parts with what strength they had left. That is so telling. Mm. The, the laughter was eerie and strange. And even after all that time in the forest, the laughter of beings that are not goblins was still not comforting. Mm-hmm. That's, you, you, yeah. You wonder if they're just, um, you know, they're just so beaten down by this point, by this journey, that mm-hmm. anything unfamiliar is, is just terrifying to them. Yeah, you know? yeah, that I makes mean, sense. And, and granted, these are these are elvish voices, so there should be something right. eerie and strange about them. There's something fairy yeah, about otherworldly, right? Yeah. Absolutely. But, but I but I also have to think that they're, you know, these guys are not at their best. 
they're not no. they're not at their at their toughest at this point. They're this is a this no, is they're a not. Tough they're train. very they're very near the bottom. Uh, you know, yeah. this is as low as they've been. Yeah. Uh, you know, we get um, we're not going to read the next line, but it says that two days later they found their path uh, going downward. So we had four. This is the first time we actually get a measure of time. You know, at the beginning of your passage, oh, you mentioned catch, that four yeah. days from the stream they came to this beach forest, mm-hmm. and then two days later they get to a, a, a valley filled with oaks. So it's been six days now since they've passed the Enchanted River that they've been carrying Bomber. Um, and, wow. And really, six days they've been carrying him. Six yeah. days they've been carrying this very hefty dude. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe they're three weeks in, like two weeks to the river and about a week since. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the hunch I've got. Um, I'll have to look and see if there's anybody who's done some real research. And we will look into that for our um Prancing Pony podcast Patreon post. Definitely, yeah. I wonder if maybe like Loader uh, so. Project or anything, you know, maybe has done like a timeline yeah, or something. Yeah, or um, or the Atlas of Middle Earth. Karen Fonstad, oh, yeah, I bet she's idea. probably got something on that. In fact, if anybody does, it's going to be that. True. So we'll look it up. Six days after this, I mean, they've been they're starving. They're starving. And that's six days from the stream. From the stream which was the middle. Yeah, yeah. Three weeks wow. probably yeah. in the forest, yeah. but they've probably. Been with, well, they've probably been without food for at least two or three days because it says after the right before the four days from the stream, it says that in a few days a time came mm-hmm. when there was practically nothing left to eat or to drink. So, you know, two or three days of no food, that's a pretty miserable place mm-hmm. to be. Uh, but yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking three weeks in and probably about six days since the stream. Yeah. So, there's something terrible, terrible. There's something cruel about this, um, you know, this change of the, the beach forest and, and a little bit of light. You know, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> yeah, it's like a tease. Yeah, exactly. At first, they were inclined to be cheered by it, but then they realized, no, no. Yeah, no. The forest just to be goes on by. and on and on, and on and on. And and Thorne observes that, mm-hmm. and you know, asks the question, the rhetorical question: Is there no end to this accursed forest? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he he says the thing that Bilbo realizes means him. <laughs> Somebody must climb a tree. Yeah. Somebody, and, Bilbo, and, must climb a tree. And Bilbo loves this because hobbits just love climbing trees. You know, they're <laughs> they're yeah. so good with heights. Which is why their homes are all in holes in the ground. Right. Yeah. And they can no do it. upstairs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, poor that Bilbo. That is a very good point. So poor Bilbo. Uh, and it's really a terrifying climb. I mean, with many, many moments of, you know, his stomach just... T- jumping and yeah, turning yeah. in knots because he's, you know, slipping and catching himself just in time. I mean, this is a terrifying climb. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it and must the branches slapping very, him in the eyes. Oh, and you yeah. Know. Painful and tangled twigs. And yeah. he's, this is a dense forest and, and he's probably dealing with, you know, branches and leaves from neighboring trees growing in and just a, just an awful place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he gets up, finally gets to the top. And I'm going to go ahead and pick well, up there. And I will say before you start yeah. reading, all the time he's sure. wondering if there are any spiders in the tree. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I completely. <laughs> he was wondering whether there were spiders, and in fact, he finds some. Mm-hmm. In the end, he poked his head above the roof of leaves, and then he found spiders all right. But they were only small ones of ordinary size, and they were after the butterflies. Bilbo's eyes were nearly blinded by the light. He could hear the dwarves shouting up at him from far below, but he could not answer, only hold on and blink. The sun was shining brilliantly, and it was a long while before he could bear it. When he could, he saw all around him a sea of dark green, ruffled here and there by the breeze, and there were everywhere hundreds of butterflies. I expect they were a kind of 
purple emperor, a butterfly that loves the tops of oak woods. But these were not purple at all. They were a dark, dark, velvety black without any markings to be seen. He looked at the black emperors for a long time and enjoyed the feel of the breeze in his, in his hair and on his face. But at length, the cries of the dwarves, who were now simply stamping with impatience down below, reminded him of his real business. It was no good. Gaze as much as he might, he could see no end to the trees and the leaves in any direction. His heart, that had been lightened by the sight of the sun and the feel of the wind, sank back into his toes. There was no food to go back to down below. And for a hobbit, that's really... That's terrible. <clears throat> yeah. That's a bad thing. Yeah. Um, it's just brutal. The whole thing is just you brutal. You pointed out something at the very beginning of this passage that was <laughs> that was really intriguing about the spiders. You know, oh, he tells us, the, the narrator says, he finds they were only finally. small ones of ordinary yeah, size. only small ones of ordinary size, which as a reader, the first time you're reading this, you're thinking, wait, there's spiders of extraordinary size? Exactly. You know, like it's going to be the, the <laughs> S-O-U-S's, S-O-U-S's, the spiders of unusual, unusual size. size. I don't believe in them. Yeah. In the fire swamp. Yeah, exactly. You know, I have to say real quick, I remember looking up black squirrels. And it, I was confusing them with the purple emperors because I was looking those up and they are limited now to the south of England. It's a very rare butterfly. I'm talking about the real purple one, not the, the real black purple, velvety not the, one. Not the black. Because there is no black velvety one. Uh, that I'm aware of, at least. But apparently the Purple Emperor is a, a butterfly that he would have been familiar with. Uh, limited now, again, just to the south of England. There's not a lot of places that it shows up, and it is indeed very rare. But okay. apparently quite beautiful, the pictures I've seen. The, so. Yeah, same here. I've seen I've seen some pictures, mm -hmm. too. And, yeah, they're really, really, really beautiful things. They and, are beautiful. And, again, I just, I'm always amazed by how much Tolkien knows about the natural world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and maybe this is just a, a matter of when he wrote and, you know, the kind of life he lived it's compared true. to me as a reader. I mean, I don't – I would not know a purple emperor if I saw one. I would not know that it's a butterfly that loves the tops of oak woods. Um, no. But um, – You would know it's a butterfly and that's probably I'd about the probably extent of your knowledge. probably would know it was a butterfly, although I might ask myself if it was a moth. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, you, you know, you get you get these wonderful details about the natural world in yeah. Tolkien's in – Tolkien's You really do. – writing and it's 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 always great. You're right. I think there is something to do about the time. I mean, when he lived, it. it I think it's harder yeah. for us. We have to be a little more intentional to try to do that, mm -hmm. to try to find that sort of You um, have to make detail. time to go out and, you know, hike a forest or something like that. Right, you know? right. Which, of course, you should. I, I, yeah, probably. I love doing that. I've never that, done it. Or at least I, I used I to. I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> we used to do, uh, we used to do a lot of national parks um, back before we had kids. We'd go to you know, Yosemite or Bryce or Zion or uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. I mean, we've been to a bunch of different national parks, and one of our favorite things was to find those cool hikes. Mm. Um, I bet you get some ones. amazing pictures out there. Oh, gorgeous. The The problem I learned real quick, though, is that, you know, carrying 40 pounds of gear on your back makes every hike really hard. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I started just carrying smaller gear at the time. But, yeah, you get some amazing images out, out in the, the middle of nowhere, as they say. Uh, but yeah, you know, you, you take those walks, you take, you know, you read the books and you learn about the critters that are out there. And uh, it's amazing what you see. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, you're right. You certainly get a lot of that in Tolkien. Every time I read Tolkien, I, I wish that I that I could do more of that. And, you know, maybe as my kids get yeah. older, I'll, I'll make some time to do it. Yeah, I think you it's can. hard with kids. <laughs> like you said, you did. It, it is. Kids. I mean, all that national park stuff that was before kids. Right, I mean, yeah. we, we recently and I'm digressing. We're ahead of schedule, so I can digress a little bit. 
Um, we recently had to get rid of one of our cars. It was well over 100,000 miles, which is not a problem in and of itself. We were planning to drive it until 150 at least. Uh, but it came to the point where it had massive repairs that needed to be done, probably $3,000 worth of repairs over the next you know couple of mm. months. And I was just like, no, nah, yeah, yeah. not going to do that. But it was really hard to say goodbye to this car because it had been with us you know, pre-kids. Mm, yeah. uh, and we had been, I think we, calcul- we we added it all up. It had been to something like, seven states and 10 national parks or something like that. Oh, that's this, awesome. This, this one car. So it had this awesome history. Yeah, yeah. And it was really sad to say goodbye, you know, because it just felt like we were saying goodbye to that chapter. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we'll say hello to it again when the kids get a little bit older and it's a little easier to travel yeah, with Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I can't that's, wait. That's to a bummer, though, when you've got Yosemite. all that history, you know, in, in, yeah. in a car like that and, and you have to. Yeah. Or a yeah, house it or was, something like that, you know. It was really cool. I mean, so many moments mm-hmm. of, of driving through these these national parks and uh, and just enjoying some of the most amazing amazing scenery, but uh, I digress. Very cool. No, that's fun. That's great. So, well, having seen some of the pictures you've taken in in national oh, yeah? parks, I've seen a few of those, and I've I've posted a really few because they remind me of things in Middle Earth. I know. Yeah, moments. yeah. There's some yeah. really cool ones. Yeah, they really do. I'll have to. Maybe I can post some of them. Maybe I'll do a. Um, since we haven't done a pondering in ages, because it's when you go weekly, now we've guys, got a weekly it's, show. It's yeah, it is a little it's hard. It's really to hard to get those ponderings yeah. out, um, and I don't know when they'll come back. I know they will at some point, but um, I miss them. I really do miss them. I always I do them. too. I miss them a lot. It just may be that we have to figure out how to squeeze them in, but yeah. it is hard doing weekly. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll do a pondering with just some photos, just to kind of share, uh, you know, some of those locations that felt, you know, very Middle Earth. Yeah, it's a good idea. So should do that. We'll see. Maybe I'll throw that. It shouldn't take me much time to work that out. So Bilbo gets back down uh, to the angry, hungry dwarves. <clears throat> I, angry dwarves. I love I guess. that it's his fault. You know, and of course it is. You know, it's, it's what's the good? What's the use of the sending a hobbit? Gone. You know, <laughs> like if they, if they had sent one of them, one of them could have done something. Right, exactly. Except for that falling from the highest branches that were not heavy, that were not you know thick enough to carry <laughs> yeah. to hold them. Oh, man. But, man. Give me a break, Thorin. Yeah. Yeah, what a mess. Well, we actually do have enough time left, I think. No? No, I don't know. The next section's a little long, huh? Yeah. I think. Yeah, why don't we go ahead and, and wrap this up? Because we got some really good stuff in Barnum's bag tonight. So Yeah, I think we want that, to get to that. I agree. So that is where we're going to stop the book for today. But, folks, please stick around. Like I said, we've got some great stuff coming up for you in Barnum's bag. And we have some really big news up front. Yes, we do. And also some episode ending, but hopefully not podcast career ending bad jokes coming your way. (laughs) But uh, first, why don't we get to our very important thing to say? Our very important thing. Well, folks, if you follow us on social media, you already saw the news late last month that we have been invited as special guests to Myth Moot 5, taking place in June out in Virginia. Mm-hmm. It is an absolutely amazing opportunity, and we're going to be doing something very special while we're there, a live episode broadcast. That's right. We are going to be in the main room with no yep. other events during our time slot. So <laughs> we're going to have the whole it? of Myth Moot there to join us. And we're going to be interviewing a few amazing people during that live show. That's right. We have already confirmed that John Garth and Corey Olson will once again join us mm-hmm. uh, as they'll be at MythMoot. And we're also going to get a chance to speak with Douglas A. Anderson, the editor of The Annotated Hobbit, who has caught on to so many things before we did. Before we did, uh, yes. <laughs> yep. uh, the show is going to air live on Facebook at the time of the event. We'll, we'll get more details when we have the very specifics. Um, but it will also be released the very next day 
uh, if I can do some quick turnaround editing, as <laughs> I believe episode 88. That sounds about right. And if we stay on schedule, that event will take place right as we're wrapping up The Hobbit and getting ready for season three. It's almost like we planned it that way. <laughs> well, except that this time we really didn't. We really didn't. I know. It's uh, truly as coincidental as it can be. Now, if chance it was. If chance it was, indeed. Um, MythMood is, is generously covering our event registration and our meals, and that's saving us a chunk. But we still have to find a way to get there and stay there for a few days. Mm-hmm. Now, the last time I checked, Virginia was about 3,000 miles away from California, uh, and at least half that from Texas. And the eagles are busy shuttling around dwarves and hobbits, it would seem. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> so we're coming to you, our dear listeners, to ask you, as we do every episode, to consider joining our Patreon family at patreon.com slash prancingponypod. We weren't going to do a live episode from Amoot until we got to our next goal, but we just couldn't turn this opportunity down. But now we're counting on you to help us make it happen. That's right. And we trust you well. You've been amazing so far, after all. I mean, it's thanks to our Patreon family that we've been able to make some of the big improvements to the show, including this move to weekly episodes. Mm -hmm. Now, to make it worth your while, we're still going to have some great rewards. One of those rewards is exclusive content. Exclusive content like our postscripts to each episode that you hear us talk mm-hmm. about a few times in each episode. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. record these episodes a couple of weeks in advance, and then we listen to them before they release to see if there are any jokes that we missed or any mistakes we want to correct or any geometry we want to do to measure the distance <laughs> across Mirkwood. Anything yeah. we wish we had delved into a little bit more, we put into a short postscript, usually about 10 minutes or so, that's available to our Patreon supporters and usually the same day the episode follows. The, the same day the episode. Yeah, and that ex- it does usually release the same day as the episode it follows, though we did recently have one that came out a little late. But uh, for the most part, they come Happens out on the same day. Yeah, it does. Uh, but if you want access to those bonuses, to that exclusive content and, and some extra cool swag as well, be sure to join the Fellowship of the Podcast. And again, thank you to those of you who've already joined. You really have helped to make this show much better. And, of course, we also want to give a very special shout-out to Jason in British Columbia and D-May in Alaska, our patrons at the Cure Dance Contribution Tier. Folks, if you want a personalized shout-out on our episodes, well, now you know where to go. That's right. And while we truly do appreciate your support, please don't feel obligated by any means. No. We would love for you to consider signing up for the Fellowship of the Podcast, but only if you can afford it and only if you think we've earned it. We know some of you can't and choose to support us in other ways, which we are very grateful for. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, again, even if you can't join us at Patreon, just keep on listening and enjoying the podcast. We'll keep making it. Absolutely, we will. So, Sean, now why don't we go ahead and get on with Barlaman's bag? I got to tell you, Alan, I have had enough of dark, scary trees for one episode. (laughs) Yes, I have. I agree. For our first mailbag question, I want to talk about... Bright, happy, friendly trees. Aw, happy trees. Marta C. in Portugal wrote to us a few weeks ago saying, This may sound like a very silly question, but I was wondering about Celeborn the tree and Celeborn the elf, and Nimloth the tree and Nimloth the elf. Do we ever find out why those names match? I suppose it must have something to do with the color silver or Telperion, at least in Celeborn's case. But knowing how careful Tolkien is with names, it strikes me as odd that the trees and these two elves share the same names, and yet no association is ever made between them in the text, at least that I know of. So thank you, Marta, for that question, and I don't think it's a silly question at all. No, not at all. The only silly question is why don't the eagles fly the ring to (laughs) Mount Doom? That is is very true. When talking about Tolkien's legendarium, there is at least one silly question. (laughs) That's really that. Yeah. But 
so here's some background for anybody who doesn't remember the specifics uh, behind Marta's question. Celeborn was the name of a tree in uh, Tolaresia, which was a seedling of Galathilion, which was mm-hmm. the white tree of Tyrion upon Tuna, which in turn was an image of Telperion, the, the original one of the two trees of Valinor. Uh, right. And of course, as I think everybody knows, Celeborn was a Sindarin elf who married Galadriel. There you go. Nimloth was a Sindarin elf who was actually the niece of Celeborn the elf, who yeah, married who married Dior, the son of Baron and Luthien in the first age. And then in the second age, the Numenorians had a tree called Nimloth in the king's court of Armenolos, from which the white tree of Minas Tirith is ultimately descended. Now, if mm. you're confused by all this, don't worry. We won't judge you. But <laughs> <laughs> No. Well, only a little bit. A little bit. Um, to answer Marta's question, no. We don't really get any information about why those names match. Uh, in one case, why Celeborn the Elf is apparently named after Celeborn the Tree, and why in the other case it seems that Nimloth the Tree is named after Nimloth the Elf. Um, when we talked about Numenor back in our Akalabeth episodes, we did say that it was a little odd that the Numenorians named a tree after their great-grandmother, but we mm-hmm. didn't give any explanation for it. Now, I suppose that technically answers Marta's question, but Sean, I get the feeling you're not going to leave it at that, are we? No, of course not. We're, we're definitely no. going to go into it a we little further, do. and we're going to do what we usually do, which is look Word-nerdy. at the origins. Yeah, we're going to look at the yeah. meanings of those two names. And what we find when we look at that is that they're both botanical words that are appropriate for trees. Uh-huh. First of all, Celeborn comes from Celeb, silver, and Orn, right. tree. Some of Tolkien's later linguistic writings actually explain it as meaning silver tall as opposed to silver tree, but still oh, okay. more or less the same meaning. And well, yeah. then, and then trees, Nimloth. Most trees are tall. Right, exactly. And uh, and then Nimloth actually means white blossom, which uh, the, the Silmarillion Index actually tells us was a cinder in form of Ninquilote, which was a name of Telperion. So she was actually directly named after Telperion. She really was. Now, furthermore, in a note in Unfinished Tales, Christopher Tolkien points out that Celeborn's close kin had tree names. His father's name was Galathon. His brother's name was Galathil. Those both have uh, Galad, which means tree. Right. And of course, his niece is named Nimloth. We've been talking about her. So it's probably just a family tradition for that family um, to have tree names. And knowing how closely elves are connected to the earth and nature, that doesn't strike me as too strange. I mean, even even Legolas uh, from... That's the, true. The Merkwood elves that we're about to meet, uh, he's got a tree name. His name means green mm-hmm. leaf. Yeah. No, that's not strange at all. Hobbits frequently name their daughters after flowers, and Sam talks about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even some hosts of the Prancing Pony podcast. Uh, <laughs> I wonder you know, if you my, get into that. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know this. Maybe our listeners don't. But my wife and I named our daughter Eleanor after the beautiful golden flower and uh, Sam and Rosie's daughter. It was Sam's line that got me. It was uh, he's, he's trying to figure out what to name his little girl. Mm-hmm. And Frodo has some suggestions, and Sam says, If it's to be a flower name, that I don't trouble about the length. It must be a very beautiful flower, because you see, I think she is very beautiful, and is going to be beautifuler still. Oh, so I think lovely. when we read that before the before the movies came out, we both agreed that Eleanor would be a wonderful name for our daughter. So. That's beautiful. I like that. Who knew she'd actually show up someday? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's beautiful and worth waiting for, I know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I do find it interesting that Celeborn, who was a Sindarin elf, who was born in Middle-earth yeah. and whose parents never saw the light of the two trees, <laughs> that's, that's would be what I'm named thinking. Silver Tree after Telperion. I mean, maybe he was named after stories about Telperion. I mean, we know that sure. Fingal and Melian both knew about um, the two trees, and I'm probably, probably told stories about them every day. Mm. Yeah. Every day. Then again, he could have just been named Silver Tree in honor of his silver hair, 
and the fact that he was very tall. We know That's we know true. both of those facts about him from fellowship. So That is true. And now we can also deduce that the reason the Numenorians named their white tree after their ancestor is because that ancestor was herself named after the same tree that theirs was an image of. That's true. Yeah. Now, we didn't catch that detail when we just discussed the Akalabeth, so thank you, Marta, for giving us a reason to look further into it. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much, Marta. All right. Well, I think it's on to our second question. And Good. for our second question tonight, I want to do another fun one like we did. Oh, was it a couple of episodes oh, yeah, ago? The, we talked the about music. music. Yeah, yeah. We, we've gotten a couple of uh, fun sort of opinion-based questions in lately, and, and, I, and I just, I love those. They're just Yeah, they're we don't have to do much research. <laughs> exactly, yeah, right. So, yeah, please, folks, keep the fun questions coming. Definitely. So now, Jeff L. in New York has come to Because I never us. have a problem giving my opinion. No, no, we know. <laughs> just want you we to know, know. that. <laughs> we do know that. So, yeah. Jeff L. in New York has come to us with a question that he thought you, Alan, would appreciate. Uh-huh. It oh, seems okay. he knows that by day, when you're not researching Elvish naming customs, you are a <laughs> photographer. Yes, indeed. So, Jeff wrote in saying, If you could have one perfect and high-resolution photograph of any one location on Middle-earth, or anywhere in Arda, where would it be specifically? From what oh angle or point of view, and at what time of day? Assuming the dangers of taking hmm. such a photograph was a non well, yeah. So some examples. From the top of Smaug's nose. <laughs> right. It would be the last thing I ever shot. Um, <laughs> examples he includes, uh, he says, maybe like the gates of Menegroth at dawn, as if approaching from a road or the open woods. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a shot of Laurelin and Telperion standing oh, at trees, a point yeah. equidistant from both about 200 yards away. Oh, my goodness. That's not I specific. I love how specific he is with this one. Uh, equidistant from both about 200 yards away, <laughs> looking up in the hour of their oh, mingling light. My goodness. During the prime of the bliss of Valinor. Wow, Jeff. Kudos, Jeff. I love the specificity. Very detailed. And my goodness, that would be beautiful. Wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, a view Hard of the very say... first. I'm going to choose something else now when I've been given that as one of my options. I know, right? Uh, you know, a couple more. A view of the very first sunrise uh, facing oh, east yeah, across the icy yeah. waste to the Helkaroxe. Or a view of Gondolin from almost directly above as if riding on the back of an eagle in the middle of a moonlit night. He says, you get the idea. Oh, wow. Uh, what do you think? And he also says, uh, thanks, guys, for making such a fun listen for us all. Thank you, Jeff. Oh, my. Thank you, Jeff. Well, thank you for a great question. And, Alan, you are the photographer, as we just said. So why don't you do this one first? Well, you know, I'm an architectural photographer for the most part. I mean, I do some landscape stuff. Well, I did. I don't really get much time to do it anymore. But... My living is as an architectural photographer, and so, you know, I think the first thing that came to mind was was architectural things like, uh, uh, you know, Minas Tirith or things like that. But th- the truth is, as I started to kind of ponder this question, it's not just the places that I'd want to see a photograph of, but the moments. Um, you know, if I could expand that, um, I'd want an image of Fingolfin's challenge of Morgoth. Uh, you know, when, when he gleamed beneath Morgoth as a star, his mail overlaid with silver, his blue shield was set with crystals, and oh, he drew yeah. his sword, Ringil, that glittered like ice. I'd want to see that moment when, his, when he drew his sword oh, yeah. and, and see that and see him standing off against Morgoth. Or I got to say, one of my all-time favorite moments in the entire Silmarillion, when Hurin, wielding his axe two-handed, was crying out, Aure in Tuluva, day shall come again, as he mm. slew at 70 times. Um, Talk about I'd if, love to if see the it. danger was no issue. Yeah, if yeah. the danger, right, <laughs> exactly. Know? I'm invisible in another yeah. dimension, and I'm just taking a, a picture here. I'm, I'm a combat photographer at the Near Night Arnoidia. Ex- 
Uh, yeah, what an amazing embedded. moment that would be to see. And yeah, an embedded photographer. But, you know, I mean, if, if I had to pick places and not moments, uh, and I love how this enables me to cheat and name multiple things, um, <laughs> I think the first thing I would see want to see is the vision of Gondolin amid the white snow that Tuor saw when mm, he came yeah. to the high sword that looked out over the valley beyond after passing the Gate of Steel. That would be the thing that I'd want to see. But I'd have to add that an aerial view of the Battle of the Pelennor Fields right as the Rohirrim are charging would be a very close second. So, Yeah, that's um, a good one. You know, and if I can add a third as I think about it, knowing full well that you'll probably have like 17. Um, <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> bag end in the party tree on a midsummer day with oh, some puffy yeah. white clouds in the sky and a light breeze blowing through the leaves. I think that would be awesome. Those are some good ones, and I'm, I'm going to have a hard time topping those. Oh, I don't know. I bet you've got some good ones. I, and I am no photographer. Arendil, and Arendil, right? Yeah, yeah. Pretty <laughs> much. Uh, I am no photographer, although I did play around a little bit with a DSLR camera when my kids were born. Mm-hmm. Basically just enough to know that I can't take a decent picture with it because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> P for professional. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if I knew how to use my camera, here are some scenes I'd like to shoot. Uh, I do agree with Jeff about capturing the first sun across the Helkaroxe, but... I feel like wasn't wasn't the first sunrise actually in the West? Yeah, yeah. Valinor? When you when you when you read that, I almost corrected the question as it was asked. And I thought oh, I'll yeah. just kind of let that go for so, now. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be the guy who's going to point it out only because I think that if the sun set in the east, I think a mournful sunset facing east, you know, yeah. pregnant with meaning for the exiled Noldor, I oh, think would yeah. be fantastic. Just dramatic, absolutely. Yeah, I love the drama of that scene. Um, what else? I'd love to have a shot of what Bilbo saw when he was riding down into the Valley of Rivendell, uh, exactly from his point of view at twilight. Now, remember, the last green had almost faded out of the grass when they came at length to an open glade not far above the banks of the stream. The stars above were burning bright and blue. I would love to see exactly Mm. what Bilbo saw. And if it was in Smell-O-Vision, you could catch a whiff of the elves. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Man, of course. Man, how wonderful would that be? We'd finally have an answer to that question. What exactly yeah. do elves smell like? Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, you mentioned Arendelle. Uh, Vingalot rising in the west for the first time. Yeah. Probably from yeah. the point of view of Mithros and, and Maglor. Uh, hmm. I know everybody's shocked to hear me say that. Um, I thought you'd want to see it like from the... From the, the point of view of Arendelle? Like, well, or from like on the ship. Like the yeah, you know, the, you're on the prow of the ship looking back towards the stern that, and seeing Arendelle at the helm just... Standing tall and mighty with his, maybe with his leg up on the thing, like, you know, like Captain. <laughs> right. Uh, what's you know, that, that's what's not... that drink? The Captain. Uh, Captain Morgan. Captain Morgan rum. Yeah, yeah that's the one. <laughs> that's not a bad one. But, you know, I think no. I, so much of what I love about Arendelle is that just the, you know, the oh, image yeah. of him in the sky. And I, I, I do exactly. love, I love I that moment from the Silmarillion. I think maybe the Gates of Gondolin. I think it seems Ooh. like we all said Gondolin here in some regard. Oh, um, yeah. I would, I mean, if you could if you could see all the gates somehow in a line, but I don't think that I you can. No, I don't think you can. Um, I would say if I had to pick one, probably the Gate of Riven Iron with the last oh, rays of sunset the one shining the... on it. Because I, I think that faced west. I think it was the fourth gate. And yeah. it's the one where it says the light came through the traceries of the gate. That's the one, right? Which were wrought and hammered into the shapes of trees with writhing roots and woven branches laden oh, with leaves and flowers. Beautiful. And it was actually three grills laid right. across each other so that you, you saw the complete picture only if you were coming down through the middle. Yeah. Oh, I think that would yeah, be so amazing. Cool. That would be cool. 
and honestly, you know, I think even we've been talking about Mirkwood. I think a nice creepy picture of Mirkwood would be kind of cool mm-hmm. to see. Um, uh, I don't think I'd good. want that one in Smell-O-Vision, but I think no, it would be- No, probably not. With the funguses and the herbs, uh, the stink horns, but- There's a fungus among us. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to- But I, I think it would be, I think it would be a really interesting- be an interesting see, image. See. Yeah, yeah, it's not like I'd, not like I'd hang it up in my bedroom or anything, but- No, no. But it would be kind of cool to see. I, you know, there's so many places. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, uh, in fairness, I think our answers come from the fact that we've read the Silmarillion- and the Hobbit most recently, and so there's not as much Lord of the Rings in, in our minds. But yeah, I'm that's just a thinking good point. now. Wow, the glittering caves of Aglaron. Oh, I would wow, want yeah. to see that. Yeah. I would want to see Fangorn from the top of, the top of that hill. Oh, Mountain and Dolowin, absolutely. Yeah. Or or Dunharrow and the, that that steep yeah. switchback mountain path that goes all the way up. I mean, yeah. there's so many places that I would love to see. Um, but yeah, what about I mean, the Hall of Casa Doom? You know. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Or the inside of uh, of Medusild, you know. Oh, I mean, yeah, just there's so many places. Or or the inside of the the, the hall at the uh, on the seventh level of Minas Tirith, you know. The, yeah. Um, ah, there's just so many places. There, there so are many so things. many, and um, a fun question. I, yeah, that was a fun I, question. I, I re- Thanks, Jeff. I really liked it. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. And uh, as I said, we we love these kinds of fun questions. Yeah. Honestly, folks, we love all your questions. So please sure, sure. keep sending them in, even the ones we have to research, because we have so much fun with those, too. I mean, think of what we, we just did with Marta's question and yeah. finally got an answer to something we wondered several episodes ago about, you know, the Absolutely. name of Nimloth. So we have a lot of fun with those, too. So please, any questions you guys have, please send them on in. Absolutely. We do have a lot of fun with them. Uh, and I think that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. But mm-hmm. still, folks, don't leave yet. Wait for the music. As always, we thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to having you join us again next time when we continue Chapter 8 of The Hobbit. And that's when we're going to find out once and for all whether spiders like being called cops, or rather adder cops. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we want to encourage you all to read along and take notes in your copy of The Hobbit, so please check out the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. We've got links to everything from inexpensive paperbacks to some pretty good stuff for your token collection. And in the meantime, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes for us and leaving us a review, we'd really be grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Those reviews, as I think I say every episode, give us more visibility in iTunes, and that just translates to a bigger and more exciting community of Tolkien lovers. And thanks to those of you who have, by the way. We, we still read every single one of them, and we generally... Gen- <laughs> we can talk. We talk, you know, for 90 minutes a week. Uh, and we genuinely do appreciate all the nice things you say about us. We do. In fact, yeah. so much so that we're now featuring one of your reviews each week on our Thankful Thursdays in our social media channels. That's right. And we're also on Potable now. Uh, Potable is a po- podcast. Let me try that again. Pod- <laughs> Let me try that again again. Potable is a podcast discovery platform that finds new and emerging creators and, and recommends them to you. It's, it's a little bit like the Netflix algorithms. A little bit. While, while other apps make you sort through clunky charts to find your new favorite podcast, Potable learns your interests and recommends new shows and episodes. And sometimes they're really popular shows, and sometimes mm-hmm. they're just completely undiscovered stuff. Yeah. Either Diamonds way, it allows you to spend less time searching and more time listening. And finally, we want to thank all of you who've become part of our social media family. We yes. set out to start a Tolkien conversation that everyone could join, which is why we have our online common room on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast and on Twitter, at Prancing Pony Pod. And I should say, we recently hit the 2,000 mark for uh, followers on our Facebook page. And That's right, Certainly is a nice little milestone. Very um, cool. That means probably... Thank a, you all uh, for that. 
yeah, a little more than half of you have joined the uh, uh, the common room there and, and pipe in every now and then, and we appreciate hearing from you. One last thing, as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or tips for transporting an overweight and incapacitated dwarf to Barliman at the Prancing Pony. It probably involves wheels. Don't bring any food. Just guessing. There you go. To Barliman at the Prancing Pony Podcast.com. That's our new email address this season, so be sure to take note. Barliman at the Prancing Pony Podcast.com. And we will try to get them into our next episode. Well, but a little over an hour and a half. Still far too short a time to spend amongst such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends. <laughs> <laughs>